Okay, we're good to go. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Oh, I'm going to pray for this at the end. All right. Will somebody remind me to do that? Anybody? Anyone? Any takers? Okay. Don't forget. Thank you for the reminder. That's awesome. All right, I'll leave that right there. Okay. Hallelujah. Um, before we start, how, why don't everybody just turn around, look at those cameras, and let's welcome our Meeker campus. Hey, every, hey everybody. Pastor Shane, how you guys doing? Listen, Meeker campus is our family, and they're not like the, the weird, like, cousin. No, they're like part of our family, immediate family. They're the Meeker campus. We love them, and a lot of times we forget about them, but they watch faithfully each week. And they listen to the messages that Pastor Mark is, is preaching. And so we just wanted to say hi. We acknowledge you guys. We love you guys. Thank you for being a part of the body of NCC. All right. I don't have a ton of time this morning. So I'm going to kind of just jump right into it. First of all, I'll just say thank you to Pastor Mark and Pastor Tasha for letting me fill the pulpit. It's an honor because there's been a lot of really great people who stood up here. And um, sometimes I don't even feel like... I belong, but I thank the Lord that I get to do this, and thank you, Pastor Mark and Tasha. They're out of town right now, so I, I'm going to be preaching this morning, um, and I'm going to be talking about worship. Um, they told me that I could kind of teach on whatever I wanted, and I had a lot of things rolling through my head, and I felt like worship was probably the best, the best one, um, just because it's something that I, I try and, and get a greater understanding of, you know, every day. Um, it's something that will we'll just scratch the surface of today, but it's in, it's titled Worship, the Expression of Love, and so I'm going to talk about it today. I got some slides for you, and I really encourage you guys to take some notes um, because the Word of God is powerful. I think we all know that, but sometimes we're just, we get familiar with when, when someone says that, you go, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but really, do we see the Word as powerful? Do we see it as light? Do we see it as life? You know, it says that the entrance of His Word, when you allow it into your heart, it brings forth revelation. And when you have revelation, that's when your life starts to change. And when you have a deeper revelation of God, you'll have a deeper expression uh, of worship. And so that's what worship really is. It's the expression of our love to God. So really, take some notes this morning. Uh, you can be vocal. You can, you can say amen if you agree with something. We want to be an alive church. All right? So can I get an amen? amen. All right. So... Uh, worship, you know, if you've been in prayer school or just been around for a while, you probably understand that, you know, praise and worship, we, it's actually a form of prayer. It's the highest form of prayer. And we know that prayer is just like talking to God. And so sometimes we get this, this idea of worship as just like singing. And so in the words of, uh, of Buddy the Elf, if you ever watched that movie Elf, singing is just like talking. It's just louder and longer. And you move your voice up and down. I think we all can do that, Right. So I'm not just going to, that's just a joke. I'm not going to make anybody get up here and sing. Um, maybe. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about what real, what real worship is. And I feel like you have an opportunity this morning to glean and grow or get offended. And I hope the latter is not true. So I'm going to say some things that really rocked me when I was studying it out and challenged me to be different and to change 
Um, so, you know what, that's the cool thing about the God that we serve is that he doesn't just leave us where he found us, but he brings us up to higher places, and he's calling us to, to go there, um, and, and we have a part to play in it. And so, really, if you wanted to title this entire sermon, it would be long. It would be called Worship, the Expression of Love, and Our Part to Play in It, because um, we have a part to play, all right? So let's just talk a little bit about that. We said worship is the highest form of prayer, and here's the great thing about worship. It's because it's one of these only times when you're not in his presence asking him for something, but you're giving him something. That's beautiful. You know, Dr. Eddie Hyatt said this, and this is the first slide. Dr. Eddie Hyatt said this, when we pray, we are preoccupied with our, with our needs. When we praise and give thanks, we're preoccupied with our blessings. But when we worship, we're preoccupied only with him. So worship is really this beautiful intimacy, one-on-one time with the Lord. Okay, so here's a definition, and there's a lot of definitions of worship, and I might go into some stuff, and you'd be like, well, you know, it's also this. Well, yeah, there's a lot. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time here, but um, we're scratching the surface this morning. So you can write this down. Worship, here's a, here's a definition of worship. Worship is an active response to who God is and who he has revealed himself to be through his word. Worship is an active response. Emphasis, I should have put that word in yellow. It's okay. Active It's an active response to who God is and who he has revealed himself to be through his word. And uh, let me give a plug for this book real quick because I'm teaching mainly out of this book. Um, It's called How to Worship a King by Zach Neese. You can tell I love it. I spilled my coffee on it because I read it in the mornings. Um, I probably need a different version of this book. But um, I got this book back in 2012, I believe, and this is changed my life. Other than the word of God, this is the book that has changed my life, impacted my life the most. If you listen to Sewing and Growing podcast with J&J, that's me and John P's uh, podcast. We've been going over a year and a half now. We've got like 120 episodes. I mention this book quite often. Um, so I'm going to be teaching out of this. So I encourage you guys. I don't think it's in the bookstore, but go ahead and order it online. You won't regret it. This is going to change your life. So the bulk of what I'm teaching is going to be out of here this morning, okay? So we said worship is an active response to who God is and who he's revealed himself to be through his word. So we find out who he is through his word. We find out he's our savior, he's our healer, he's our redeemer, right? He's our peace, he's the lover of our soul. You find all that stuff out through the word, okay? So this is real important. Your level of praise and worship, this is the next slide, your level of praise and worship will be limited to your revelation of God. If you have a very weak and basic understanding of who God is, your worship will be weak and basic. So Jesus even said this. He said that, I'm paraphrasing, he said the level you put into the word is really the level that you'll get back. It's what you'll receive. So if you value the word, you value understanding who God is, your revelation is going to increase and therefore your praise and worship will match that level of revelation. Does that make sense? All right, so when we get revelation of who he, who he is through his word, we position ourselves to respond appropriately, okay, to respond appropriately. So we just gave a basic definition, and I want to dive into this subject of worship and, and praise uh, actually just a little bit more. And you know, uh, Zach Neese, he's the author of this book. He mentions this in his book, and I relate to it often because it happens to me quite often, um, you know, we'll get done with with a with the worship um, setting, and and someone will come up to me afterwards and said, "Hey, um, I really liked your music, or that really that really blessed me today." Um, and it's it's kind of funny, you know. I really loved your music today. They they mean well, and what they're trying to put into words is something that they've experienced, 
but the church really hasn't prepared them to describe. Okay, And we know that God responds to worship, so what they're trying to describe is the encounter that they had with God in the worship service, but they don't really know how to describe it yet. And modern Christianity has made this mistake of allowing people to think that worship or praise and worship is just a type of music. It's a genre. When you search for it on iTunes and, and, and Spotify, whatever, you'll see it as a genre, praise and worship, or gospel, or contemporary, right, CCM. Uh, contemporary Christian music. Uh, it, 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 it's not that, okay? So here's the next slide, and this might shock you, but worship is not music, all right? Worship is not, and you're like, wow, that's pretty bold coming from the guy who just sang for 30 minutes. Yes, worship is not music, okay? Actually, there isn't a single Greek or Hebrew word for worship in the Bible that has anything to do with music. You can look it up. If worship is only music, then we package it, we tailor it, we brand it to an audience, and they become a consumer, and they decide, or I should say we decide what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, that's not my style, this is my style, and what we're really doing is we're putting ourselves in the position of God, and it's idolatry. It's a form of self-worship. We're God's unto ourselves when we make worship simply music. Worship is not music. See, there's a massive problem with this philosophy. Is worship is music, then we can market it to man, and man becomes a spectator and a consumer of worship. Okay? So let's get this one thing straight. Worship is for God and not for man. Worship is for God and not for man. Okay? So here's what music really is. Music is a vehicle. It's a vehicle. It helps us. It takes us into his presence. It's a tool that we use in worship. It's actually a way that we express worship. It's a tool, a vehicle. Helps bring you into his presence. Okay? And this is a cool thing about music is it's one of the only tools, one of the only tools given to man that engages all three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. It can affect you in all three of those areas. And here's the thing about man is that we are triune beings, spirit, soul, and body, and God is a triune being. And I think there's a beautiful connection that happens when a triune being worships a triune God out of all three parts of him. A beautiful connection really takes place. Okay, Mark, or Mark 12.30 says to worship the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And so to do that, we got to worship out of all of us, Okay. If our mouth is singing but our heart is not engaged, it's really, it's really not worship. Okay? If I'm singing and rejoicing yet my, my arms are crossed and I have a frown on my face, right, is it really worship? Uh, probably not. So music is this. Music is a very powerful antenna of the soul. Music is a powerful antenna of the soul. And if you don't believe me, just try watching a movie with the sound off, with no music. If there was no score or soundtrack to a, to a movie... It would be really uncomfortable. Music has this way of being able to move you. Uh, think of the movie Jaws, okay? There's only two notes. It's E and F, just going back and forth. Yet it triggers that flighter, or fight or flight response within you. It builds tension. Imagine that, you know, that movie without any of that music. It would be kind of silly because when the shark reveals himself, you're kind of like, oh, <laughs> that's what it is? All right, that's not, that's not super scary. But... um. It, 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 it triggers something on the inside of you, right? We were created to respond to music. It's an amazing tool. It's a vehicle. It can be an expression of worship, but music itself is not worship. So 
What is worship? Like we said earlier, it's a response, but I want to dive just a little bit deeper. Worship is a, is a compressed form of an old English word. It's two words, and it means worth-ship. Worth-ship. Okay, worship is worth-ship. It literally means to give something worth, to demonstrate or attribute value, especially to a deity or God. That's what worth-ship means. Okay, and it costs us something. It's, it costs you something to demonstrate value. That's why worship is always most often associated with sacrifice. We tend to only make sacrifices for the things that are important to us, uh, things that we see value in. All right, the first mention of, of worship is actually in Genesis 22, uh, verse 5, when Abraham is going to sacrifice his son on the mountain. He says, you guys stay here. Me and the boy are going to go up, and we are going to worship, and then we'll come back. Hmm? What he's actually saying is, I will... Offer God the greatest sacrifice that I have to offer, the most valuable thing in my world, the son, because God is worth even more to me. And if you don't know the rest of the story, God didn't have him sacrifice Isaac. There was actually a ram in the thicket, and God's not calling us to sacrifice our kids, okay? But he is calling us to sacrifice something, okay? The principle remains the same. So worship or attributing, this is the next slide, attributing value to God must cost the worshiper something. Worship is sacrifice, and it always, everybody say always. There we go. It always involves giving. Always. Ways we offer sacrifice to God could be our time, our money, our songs of praise, when things really aren't going our way. Sacrifice is often uncomfortable, and it always has a price. Is often uncomfortable and always has a price. Just take a look at your transaction history, and you'll see very clearly what you value. I keep doing this. This is like the first time I've been doing this. You can tell people what that means after. All right. So... If worship is ascribing worth to God, then the price of our worship shows God and the world how much we value him. All right? And I think that women seem to understand this concept a little bit more than guys. And I'll give an example. Uh, think about when a woman gets engaged, how she kind of communicates that to her friends. A lot of times it's kind of nonverbal. All she's got to do is get in the room and kind of do the, this. The, the, this. <laughs> and all the women flock to her. Right, it's like a, a siren, and they just they hear it, they know what it is, and they flock to the ring, and you hear the oohs and the ahs and the, <gasps> the gasps, and everybody wants to know about the ring. The ring. They go, How big is it? How many carrots? What's it made out of? Is it a princess cut? Is it a diamond cut? What is it? Right? Because they have a question in their in their mind, it might even be subconscious, but they want to know how much is this woman worth to the man. Because the ring says all they need to know about how much he values her. Is that making sense? Right? Even, it, it, it's kind of a, an unconscious thing, but how much is she worth to him? Is she valuable enough for him to spend six months eating nothing but top ramen and, and, just, and, and riding his bike places so he can buy a ring that only is just barely scratches the surface of how much he values her. 
all right? <laughs> so let's, let's switch gears for just a minute. We are the bride of Christ, all right? And we were really, and sometimes still are, unlovable, unfaithful, adulteresses. You're like, what, what, what? Yeah, anything that we put above the Lord, anything that, I mean, a lot of times we're committing spiritual adultery with what we value, okay? Undeserving of love or redemption. And Christ, now you have the, the, the bridegroom, the groom, he's perfect, all right? He's glorious, he's holy, he's faithful, he's righteous, and so how could he love a bride that's so undeserving? And I have this picture of, of heaven. The angels are probably like, you know, I don't understand what he's doing. And hell is probably really confused. And to silence all the critics, what did Jesus have to do? He had to show them the ring. All right? What's the ring? Really, I believe that the cross is our engagement ring. It's what shows everyone how much he valued his bride. He showed them the ring. Right? If the cross proves how much we are worth to God, then our worship proves how much God is worth to us. Okay? So the most used word in the Greek for worship is this word proskunio. And I have a slide for that as well. Sorry, I gave them these slides like 10 minutes before service started, which was really bad on my, on my part. Here we go, proskunio. And you can go ahead and put the definition of it up there. All right? Three facets to this word. To prostrate yourself before. The word prostrate means to lay flat on your face. Okay? To adore. And I messed up this slide. It means to kiss the hands towards someone. I, I totally forgot, like, the main point of number three. So it means to kiss the hands towards someone. So it's multifaceted. The first one meaning prostrate yourself before God. It means laying flat on your face. The two more facets, here, let's go to the second one. It's the literal definition, which means to adore. Worship involves adoration. When we worship God, we're adoring him. Adore means to, to love deeply and respectfully. And here's the third one, and this is the one that I think is most contended, especially in modern-day culture. Let's say Western Slope uh, males really have a problem with this one. It means to kiss the hands towards someone. I'll put it in layman's terms. It really means just to blow kisses. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, uh, Western Slope man just like, I ain't doing that. Like, are you kidding me? Um, here's the thing. Like, I have two daughters, and every time I come home or leave, they come out onto the, the front porch, and they blow kisses. Mwah, mwah, daddy, I love you. Daddy, daddy, daddy. It's awesome. It's amazing. Why? Because they adore me. They love me. So just like a, a, a kiss, uh, worship is an expression of intimate love uh, towards God. Okay. So uh, we, we find a, a, a really beautiful story of this deep display of love in the Gospels, and it's a really significant, a significant one at that. It's found in Luke chapter 7. This is the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. We find this account of a sinful woman entering a Pharisee's house to be with Jesus. She, she weeps. She, um, she washes his feet with her tears and begins to kiss his feet. And she takes this alabaster jar of oil, she breaks it, and she anoints Jesus. And so I'm going to read about the response of the Pharisees in verse 44. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, after she did that, this is what the Pharisees, um, or this is Jesus' response to the Pharisees. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. 
Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So Jesus accepted this woman's behavior as a demonstration of love, as an expression of love. And what's crazy about this is this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus said that anyone demonstrated love towards him other than God. The only time. And yet the Pharisees mocked her for it. They called it inappropriate. Yet Jesus said, this is love. Hmm. Jesus saw that as an expression of worship. So next week, y'all, if I see people blowing kisses to heaven, if the Lord's prompting you to do that, okay. But if you're, you're doing that, I probably know that you, you missed the point just a little bit, right? I'm not advocating for this in a public worship setting, but I, what I am trying to do is draw a comparison. And you can put that, that slide, yep. Just like a kiss, worship is an expression of intimate love towards God. So your worship should be intimate. It should be expressive, just like a kiss. I can feel people in here going like this. I'm feeling uncomfortable. That's a good. All right. So now I know if you were if you were raised in a house without much affection, this is going to be really <laughs> this will be hard for you. You might you didn't have one or both parents in the home. Um, it might be a foreign concept to you. But trust me, if you want it's one that you want to embrace, okay? You have a really good and a, and a really, uh, an extremely loving father um, in heaven. So, but just to add to the uncomfortability, I'm gonna keep talking about kissing just for a little bit, all right? So, I kiss my two girls when I leave, kiss them on the forehead, give them kisses on the cheeks. It, uh, just, I love it, because uh, I love them and I adore them, right? But I also kiss my wife. And I don't, think you, I don't think it's a surprise that the kiss that's for my daughters and the kiss that's for my wife are very different, all right? And there's a public kiss for my wife, and there's a private kiss for my wife. And that type of kiss is only, only, only reserved for her, okay? Only. So what I'm trying to get at here is that the, the expression of love is different based on the intimacy of relationship, all right? The deeper the relationship, the deeper the intimacy of relationship, the more passionate the expression of love should be. Here we go. The greater the intimacy of relationship, the more passionately its love is expressed. Making sense to anybody? Hmm. The greater our intimacy with God is, the more passionate our worship should be. So I made this point earlier about your level of praise and worship being tied to your revelation of who he is. So Again, me and my wife have a kiss for private and a kiss for public. And I want you all to hear me out, please. Worship is the same way in a corporate setting like where we are today. My display of worship should not detract from other people's experience to worship. Okay? If you take this as correction, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to help everybody out here. Um, you know, in the natural, if I did what was reserved for the bedroom in public, I'd probably be put in jail, and all the attention would be on us. And it doesn't matter if it was the Super Bowl, right? That's a very weird image. We're just going to move past that now. Um, <laughs> but the attention would be on me. It would detract. So I'm all for ex extravagant displays of worship, but you need to be able to discern what is meant for private moments with God and what isn't. So motivation also plays a really big part in this. 
why am I doing what I'm doing? Do I want to be noticed? Is this exhibitionism? Is this pride? Is this self-worship? Is this idolatry? True worship will always be motivated by love for God. All right? And so now since, you know, there's two sides to every coin, I'm going to play the flip side real quick because this part needs addressing too. Okay? The Pharisees, are again, right, she, they called the women with the alabaster jar inappropriate, but Jesus called it a demonstration of love. Even look at Michael's, or uh, David's first wife, Michael. She called his display undignified and inappropriate. Yet God said that David was a man after his own heart. So we need to be careful about what we judge as worship. Again, because that puts us in the position of God, judging somebody from across the sanctuary or anywhere and saying, that's not appropriate. You've just become the judge of someone's worship. You've become a Pharisee. You know how Jesus felt about the Pharisees. Hmm. So if we're not careful, it's easy to become a Pharisee in worship. And when you see an expression of worship that you don't like, first of all, you have no idea what God brought that person out of. No idea, unless they've told you. But sometimes we see somebody who's just very extravagant in their worship, and we, get to, and we tend to get a little bothered by it. And then they share their testimony, and you go, whoa. Man, if I had that testimony, I'd probably be worshiping the same way. And secondly, you should be, you should be focusing on God anyways. Right? After all, that's the reason why you're here, isn't it? Right? It's a great way, this is a good segue to talk more about motivation. So last year I took my daughter to the daddy-daughter dance at Grand Mesa Elementary. Um, and we tore it up. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Dancing and twirling and spinning. And then my wife gave us this like Polaroid and the whole night we're like... And then my, I gave it to my daughter, and she started taking pictures of everybody, and they were kind of concerned, like, who's this girl taking pictures of us? I'm like, it's, it's okay. No, you can have the Polaroid. Here you go. Um, and it was amazing. But here's the thing. I hate dancing. Absolutely hate it. My daughter loves it. I didn't go to the dance because I love to dance. I went to the dance because I love my daughter. Does that make sense? Very simple illustration, but a very powerful illustration. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't come to church because he just loves church so much. He comes to, well, he does, but he comes to church because he loves you. All right? Jesus doesn't come into your prayer closet because he loves being crammed in the bathroom. He loves you. That's why he comes. All right? Jesus didn't go to the cross because he loves the cross. He went to the cross because he loves you. And he's expecting the same from us. Do I come to church because I want to hear good music and I want to hear a message that encourages me and doesn't call me out on anything? Do I want to come to church because of community? All those things, especially the community thing, it's not a bad, it's not bad to come to, that's part of it. Or am I coming to church because I love Jesus? And here's the beautiful thing about when your motivation is Jesus is that you can find him in all those things, especially when the music isn't your cup of tea. You go, That's like we got three slow songs in a row. What is going on? Or I don't really like what Pastor Mark said this week. I kind of disagree with that. When you make it about Jesus, it's a lot harder to be offended by those things because you're not there specifically for that and how it's represented. You're there for Jesus. And he can be found in all those things. He can be found in the worship. He can be found in the teaching. He can be found in the community. But he's your motivation and your reason why you come. Amen? Ask this about yourself, right? Why do I go to church? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I engage in prayer? 
Is it because I need things all the time or is it because I love Jesus? When love is the motivation of your heart, everything you do becomes an act of worship. Everything you do. And this is, will help you avoid offense, like I was saying. So here's another definition of worship. It's love expressed God's way. Okay? So if you ever read the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, um, you know, we've got words of affirmation, physical touch, uh, gifts, quality time, and acts of service. Um, he, didn't dis- he didn't invent those. He just noticed them. He discovered them. I think that really those truly are the way. Uh, but here's the thing. Everybody receives love differently. They receive and give love differently. You've probably noticed that if you've been married here and you've been trying to give love in a way that you receive it, but your spouse does not receive the same type of love, okay, you're in for a rude awakening. All right, can I get a witness, anybody? <laughs> right, so you got to find out what your partner, how your partner receives love so you can give them a love that is recognized. Have we ever stopped to think that maybe <laughs> we're expressing love to God in a way that he doesn't recognize it? I think a great thing about God, though, is I think he does speak all five love languages, but really, we need to understand what his love language actually is. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll find out what it is. John 14, 15, if you love me, you keep my commandments. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, 23, uh, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. John 14, 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So worship is love expressed God's way, and God's love language is obedience. So that's another definition of worship, obedience. Now, I don't want you to get into a works mindset. You know, obedience from fear of punishment is religion. Obedience resulting from love is relationship. It's covenant. It's worship. So here's something awesome. This is straight from the book as well. It says, true emotions. I don't, have a, I don't have a slide for this part. I think I have one little slide. True emotions of our hearts are the ones that inform lordship. We will obey the Lord that we love. If we love our flesh, we will obey it. If we love God, our emotions will prove true through obedience. Amen. So we just talked about the main Greek word for worship, which is the word proskunio. Now let's talk, uh, and that talks about adoring, being flat on your face, kissing. Um, But the main Hebrew word for worship is the word shakah. And the word shakah simply means to bow, all right, to bow. Again, we have problems with this in Western culture. Uh, But guess what? Uh, It's the culture of heaven, right? Again, the 24 elders in Revelation, they're bowing down, and they're worshiping Jesus. We talk about, well, we want heaven on earth. Your will be done as it is on earth, and it will be in heaven. Or backwards, sorry. (laughs) Uh, As it is in heaven shall it be on earth. Well, the culture of heaven is worship. It's bowing. (laughs) It's humbling. Yet we, we get so bothered by that. I'm not bowing. I'm not doing that. Ugh. Right? It's something that we need to embrace. Listen, in Exodus 33.3, uh, God refused to go into the promised land with Israel. And he said, you are a stiff-necked people. That word stiff-necked means refusing to bow. So he allowed them to go into his, the promise, but he, did, he wasn't going to go with them. What good is a promise if God isn't there? 
Come on. So I'm not saying this because when you bow, it makes your worship more meaningful. We just went through some physical actions. And if you think you can just check them off the list and follow a a formula, it's not really going to work for you. Okay? It's about the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and I could, you could even say this. It's, it's really where the motivation for these actions come from. So ask yourself this. What's the posture of my heart? Who's actually Lord in there? Can I yield and obey? Or am I too caught up in my own pride? Right? You can bow naturally yet not be submitted in your heart, and it's not worship. So that's the thing with the Old Testament is that it was all about just like crossing things off of a list. And people would do that without any change in their heart. And that's why in the new covenant, that will not be worship. God's looking at the heart, but out of the conviction of your heart, there needs to manifest a, an actual expression in order for, for it to be considered worship. So let's recap real quick about worship. It's an active response to God. It's not music, yet music is an expression of worship, and it's a tool that we use. It's sacrifice, it's adoration, and it's obedience. Okay? So let's move on to praise for just a minute, right? It's not just, oh, the fast songs, right? Yeah, praise, fast songs. No. Praise is an expression of approval or admiration. And we actually praise a lot of things in lives, uh, in our lives. We praise our kids when they do good things. We praise our pets. Uh, praise, you know, we, pray, we praise a lot of things. Um, and God, he doesn't necessarily need our, our approval, but he does things that are absolutely worth us acknowledging, and, and we do that through praise. Okay, Praise is more specifically an expression of respect or gratitude as an act of worship. So praise, praise is an expression of worship. They're not, they're not exclusive of one, of one another. Worship, worship must have its expression, and praise is one of the ways that we do that. So it, it, it looks like this. Worship begins with the motivation of loving and honoring God, and that motivation must have an expression, and praise is one of the ways that we do it. It completes the act of worship. Just like adoration or bowing, sacrifice, obedience, praise is one of those expressions. And it's actually the place that you need to start if you want to go into the presence of the Lord at all. Psalm 100, uh, uh, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. All right, so we're going to move real quick here. We're there, that, that scripture right there contains all four words, major words for, for praise in the Hebrew. Go to the next slide, and I'll have, I think I have all of them up there. Um, here we go. So the four Hebrew words for praise. The first one meaning tada. It's an extension of the hand in adoration, a vowel or acceptance. The second one is yada, the extended hand, to throw out the hand, to worship with the extended hand. Number three, tehillah, to sing. It's from the, from the Hebrew word halal, which means to boast, rave, celebrate, or here's the good one, be clamorously foolish. Number four, barak, to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to bow down in a worshipful attitude, right? So all those are found in Psalm 100, verse four. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving, that's the, the Hebrew word tada, and into his courts with praise, that's the word tehillah, be thankful, yada, unto him, and bless Barak, his name. So after reading that and everything we've just been taught, there's no such thing as silent praise or silent worship. It requires you to respond with your voice, with your body, with your heart. Right? This whole idea of like, man, I'm worshiping him in my heart. Uh, I would have to maybe contend with you on that, contest. 
because you look at all these words in the Greek and the Hebrew, and they literally mean like a physical manifestation. And I'll tell you what, man, if you're that type of person, and I used to be this type of person, guess what? I didn't always sing, nor did I want to at all. I'm serious. I'm an introvert. Still am. Yet, as soon as I got that revelation that I needed to respond, man, it was like a whole new aspect of God was revealed to me. Because this is what's happening. When you do those things, when you lift your hands in worship, what's happening? It's a sign of surrender. It's informing lordship. And when I do this, I become vulnerable. And here's the thing. If you want God to minister to you, just like in the natural, if somebody is trying to give me something and I'm closed off and I'm turning away, I can't receive from that person. I have to open my arms, which makes us uncomfortable because it makes us vulnerable. But the only way God's going to get into your heart, and I'm not just trying to, I'm not trying to be legalistic and say the only way that God can speak to you is if I physically have my hands out. But what I am saying is that those actions come from a deep motivation and an intimacy that's within your own heart. And it is expressed, okay? It's expressed. Amen? So, and praise has so many benefits as well. And I can't get into all of them today because I'm running out of time. But go ahead and go to the next slide. And I want you guys to do your own research. But here's the benefits of praise, just some of them. Praise silences the enemy. You can find that in Psalm 8-2. The devil hates it because that's what he was created for. That, that, uh, or he was created to worship the Lord. And that's why he fell, because he wanted it. And so every time we praise, it reminds him of what he could have, but he can't. Shuts him up. It's a weapon of warfare, Psalm 149. It's an invitation for God. That's Psalm 22. It says that he inhabits the praises of his people. It allows God, it invites him onto the scene. Four, it brings your deliverance, Psalm 50. And five, it positions you for promise. That's Numbers 14. And, and that one was really cool because um, uh, it's when the, they sent the spies into the, into the promised land and all of them were freaking out. Um, and only Joshua and Caleb came back and, and said, no, we can do this. And said that they were praising. And it positioned them for promise. Um, positioned them to go into the promised land. Okay? So hopefully I've given you a basic understanding of praise and worship. And I know I, I gave a lot of specifics. And I don't want us to overanalyze this. And, you know, am I supposed to stand or, or kneel? Do I shout here? What's this song categorized into? Is this praise or is this worship? Oh, no, the song's a crossover. What do I do? All right. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of talk nowadays about horizontal worship and vertical worship. Um, and the answer to all that is yes. All right. And, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, really Paul talks about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And I think we can glean some wisdom from this. You know, letter of the law refers to the literal and precise wording of a statute or a legal document. It focuses on the specific language used in the law and interprets it exactly as it's written. Spirit of the law refers to a broader purpose. It's the intent, the principles underlying a legal rule or law. And it emphasizes understanding the reason why the law was created. Interpreting the spirit of the law allows for flexibility as long as the adaptation maintains the original intent. So letter of the law would say this. Praise is gratitude and thankfulness. Worship is adoration. And there's no mixing of the two. And a song must only have words that talk about him. Otherwise, it's about us. And we just learned that worship is for God and not man. And if we sing, look what the Lord has done just one more time, it's sin. That's letter of the law. And 
I shared these about worship so we could begin to regulate more accurately what's going on in the worship setting. And I believe all of it, all of the types can be a pleasing aroma unto him. But here's the thing. If I'm only singing about what he's done and I never just given glory to him, then I'm out of balance. But let me, let me say this. Turn to Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. There's three different types of, of singing in the local body. Apart from what we would call vertical worship, he's telling the church, hey, you need to be doing these things too in a corporate saying, and you need to be doing it with each other. That's what he's saying. So a psalm is one of three different perspectives. Man to God songs, God to man songs, not that God worship mans, but we know that he sings over us. It's found in Zephaniah uh, seven, uh, 3. Um, and then man-to-man songs, okay? Not that we're worshiping each other, but we're admonishing, we're teaching, we're reminding each other of the truth. So all three of these perspectives can be found in the Psalms of the Old Testament. Then you have a hymn. A hymn is a corporate form of worship where we corporately sing together to God and, and we declare his goodness. Think of songs like, How Great Is Our God, right? Amazing Grace. These are songs that unify the corporate body. And then you have a spiritual song, which is a little bit harder to define and unpack, but a spiritual song in the Greek means this, of the spirit or God breathed. So I would interpret it as this, a spiritual song is a song we would call spontaneous in the moment where God, where the spirit breathes upon you to sing something out that wasn't rehearsed beforehand. Spiritual song. All three are needed to edify and encourage the local body. All right? So, after all of that, you might be thinking, that's great, but you're like the worship leader, man. This is, for, this is you. No. This is us. All right? This is your part to play, and I'll try and make this real quick. All right? You... Let's do this. Ask yourself this question. Who am I? All right. You can ask it out loud. Who am I? There you go. You're a priest. You are a priest. All right. So one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that we are saved and we get to be in relationship with God again. But what it's the goal the goal of, uh, of, of salvation is to return things to its original intent. And if you read in Exodus, the tribe of Levi was not supposed to be the tribe of the priesthood. If you read in Exodus, he actually says the entire nation is supposed to be priests. But what happened is after Moses came down from the mountain, he saw that they had made a golden calf. They were worshiping it. And he said, okay, this can't fly. If anyone is on the Lord's side, come to me. If anyone... Only the tribe of Levi came, so they became the priesthood. And then through centuries and centuries, we followed this pattern, and, you know, and, and we put rules and regulations on them. They could only be Jewish, and they could only be from the tribe of Levi, and then actually they could only be from the tribe of Aaron, and then you get into the Catholic Church, and only they can appoint them. And it's all man-made walls. Original intent, we are all priests, all of us. 1 Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up into spiritual houses, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Listen, we are a royal priesthood. This is our identity. And we know that identity determines function, not the other way around. Religion says my function 
determines my identity. I have to do something to prove my value unto God. I do, therefore I am. The heart of a worshiper says, no, my identity determines my function. I am because I do. Or I am, therefore I do. Big difference. So I'll, I have a hard time staying, staying in my time constriction here. Um, is anybody getting something out of this? Can I give you real briefly just a few points about what priests are called to do? Because this is what wraps it up. And then I'll let you go, okay? I'll let you go. So in a simple, basic definition, the role of a priest is to worship God and to help other people worship God. Okay, so let's, let's break that down a little bit. Number one, they steward meeting places. They steward meeting places. The job of the priest in the Old Testament was to set up. It was a moving tabernacle. The word tabernacle just means meeting place or a tent of meeting. That's where people communed with God. They were supposed to tear it up, set it down, tend to it, and guard it. They, say, they set up meeting places, and the presence of God was in there. So you as a priest, your job is to steward a meeting place. Okay, everywhere you go, everywhere you go can become a meeting place for God and man because now we are the tabernacle. We are the temple. So we are that living, breathing tent. So we go, and that's why we, can, we, we have power and authority. We can go to any situation, any place, and set up a tent of meeting and have people meet with God. Amen? When you're a priest, every place you go becomes a spot where people have an opportunity to meet. Number two, they carry the presence. You find this in Deuteronomy 10. Uh, the ark contained the presence of God. Um, uh, where, uh, there was life, there was mercy, there was victory in battle anywhere that the ark went. Where the ark goes, so does blessing, so does authority, so does power. And we get to carry it. The, we carry the presence of God now. Number three, they minister to God. They minister to God. It's that, it's that word latrio, which means to minister to God. It's the second most used word for worship in the Bible. Latrio, to minister to God. All right? When we make it about us, we communicate to God that it's for us, and we become idolatrous. It's for God. We minister to him. All right? So in everything we do, it's not just singing, but it's our day-to-day. -day. It's each encounter, each conversation. We have the motive of glorifying him. And one of the main differences between David and Saul was David ministered to the Lord and Saul disobeyed God to meet the needs and the preferences of the people. Priests court the heart of God. Politicians court the heart of man. Number four, they bless the people. Okay? In modern day culture, we just think it's like saying something that uplifts someone's spirits. But biblical blessing, if you look at all the patriarchs, they would bless their sons. They spoke destiny over their futures. A, a word of blessing, a biblical word of blessing catalyzes, it catalyzes destiny. And it should never leave someone where they found them. So you are to bless the people. When you speak the truth over someone, it should. That could be a problem for second service. You catalyze destiny in someone's life. And number five, they help others worship. There's a crazy story in 2 Kings. It's Israel, they disobeyed, and they got, they got conquered once again by the Assyrians. The Assyrians come in, they set up their own way of worship, but they're still in the land of Israel. They're still in God's holy land, and God does not like that, and so they're trying to worship false gods, and lions come, and they start eating everybody, and the Assyrian king goes, um, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> 
I don't like this. Um, get one of the priests to come and teach us how to worship God. We'll, we'll learn how to worship and fear the Lord, uh, their, their God. And so a priest comes and teaches them, and the lions go away. Right? Our job as priests is to equip and to teach. We are chosen to show others the rituals of, of worship to God and teach others how to fear and follow the Lord. Right? And when we do that, God will heal our land. So that's your role. This is worship. And you have a part to play. Everybody say this. I'm a priest. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have an opportunity in everything that we do to worship and be well-pleasing to you. I pray that as we leave this place, we wouldn't forget this word, but we would understand that we are priests, that we are set apart, and that we have a responsibility to minister to you, to minister to others, and to have everything be an act of worship. And I pray, Father God, if people see that as an obligation, that they would get a deeper revelation of your love, the agape kind of love, the unconditional type of love that you have for them, and that they could reciprocate it back to you. They would begin to speak your love language, not out of fear, but out of relationship, out of covenant. We know that you love and value us, and we return that same love and value back to you through our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, you can stand up. Oh, thank you. Perfect. All right. We're praying for Angie. She fell and she hit her head, had an emergency surgery for a brain bleed in the ICU on a ventilator, has not woken up and will need a trach if she doesn't breathe on her own. All right. Father God, we speak to Angie's body right now in the name of Jesus. We command that brain bleed to stop now. We command every part of her body to function in the way that it should. In the name of Jesus, we speak to that body. We command her to wake up now in Jesus' name. Life of God, flow. Healing power, flow right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for complete and total healing. We speak to that body and we command it to live. We command Angie to live in Jesus' mighty name. That ventilator be taken out right now. I thank you, Father God, that the anointing saturates this cloth as well, that when it's brought to her body, that it will combine with the word that we've already spoken, and it will tag team whatever's going on, whatever's going wrong, and we'll see healing in that body right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Who do I need to give this to? Who brought it up here? Okay, I'll bring it to you afterwards. All right, say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. All right. You may be dismissed. Have a great week. We'll see you tonight.